On the 23rd of June 2016, a referendum took place in the United Kingdom to gauge support for the country's continued membership in the European Union. Supporters of the UK's withdrawal from the EU, or Brexit, argued that the UK should leave the EU to free itself from regulations affecting its economy and immigration policies, while opponents said staying would be better for Britain's economy. 51.9% of British voters voted in favour of leaving the European Union, whilst 48.1% voted in favour of remaining. The decision left financial markets reeling and led UK Prime Minister David Cameron to announce his resignation. Brexit is expected to lead to major political and economic changes for the UK. However, as yet, neither a timetable nor terms for Brexit have been established, and Britain lies under a cloud of uncertainty. The British scientific community largely opposed Brexit. Britain's membership of the EU provided a common framework for funding research, sharing facilities, and moving people and ideas across borders. The effects of the Leave vote are already being felt across UK research. It's been reported that UK researchers are being asked to leave or step down from leadership roles in EU-funded projects, and that students and researchers are being put off working in the UK. So what does Brexit mean for the future of British science? My name is Luke Bonser, and I'm a postdoc at the University of California, San Francisco. However, I was trained in the UK. I'm here with Professor Stephen Holgate from the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom to discuss the impact of Brexit on UK science. Hello, Professor Holgate, and thank you for agreeing to take part in the first RSF Assembly podcast of 2016 Hello, Luke. Nice to talk with you. Great. So the first question is, do, uh, will Brexit cause a massive change for research and researchers in the UK? Well, of course, it all depends really on whether or not um, we're able to support those researchers that are already active in the UK over the next three to five years. Because obviously, going into Article 50, which is the um, uh, Lisbon Treaty uh, article that has to be activated, um, the time when we go into that to get out of the European uh, Union um, will be critical in terms of what the lead-in time has been. And the information we have at the moment is that that's going to take up to four years to get to that point, which actually seems quite a, a long time. So what's the current view in this country? Well, the current view is we're carrying on absolutely as normal. It's been quite remarkable over the last, uh, what, six to eight weeks when all this has been happening, how resilient uh, the UK has become and how positive it's trying to look upon this change in its political agenda. So your question about a massive change for research and researchers is, is I don't really think so. Um, the Prime Minister, Theresa May, has agreed to underwrite the funding of all European-funded grants for the next four years. So if the UK people were involved in European funding, that would be continued by the, European, by the UK government. And as for people leaving um, grants because they're in the UK, there was a little blip at the beginning of all of this as a few people panicked. But now, actually, it looks as if it's consolidated. That is good news. Um, what, do you think there'll be um, any long-term effects of Brexit on funding opportunities, however, then? What tends to happen under these sort of political circumstances uh, is that countries tend to try and look at alternative ways of doing things. 
And uh, I think we've got to understand here that science isn't a, a European or a British or a North American thing. It's a world-related activity. And it's really, really important that the scientific community in the UK stands up for this and stands up for its rights as the negotiations begin in a few years' time. And there seems to me to be quite a lot of activity to get science up at the front end of this negotiating engine, because one of the drivers uh, to obviously improve our economy and to make Britain competitive is to, of course, uh, generate more industry and to generate more economic growth. And without science, we simply aren't going to have that. So science is going to be a major, major driver in that process. And all the portents so far that we're hearing, and of course it's all rumours in many ways because nothing's been decided yet, is that this is going to take a very, very high profile during the discussions. So the long-term effects? No, I don't honestly think so. I think the two big things we've got to ensure are firstly that mobility of scientists between the United Kingdom and elsewhere in the world, and particularly in Europe over this particular issue, uh, is maintained. And I think there's every reason that special circumstances will be put in place for that. And secondly, that funding uh, starts, uh, funding is maintained. And from what I hear, it's by no means ruled out yet that the UK will not have access to um, Horizon 2020 funding or any other European funding. So I'll, I think we just shouldn't assume that's going to happen at this moment in time until it actually uh, the negotiations start to take place. So we've just discussed funding opportunities. You, you mentioned mobility of uh, research again. Do you think yeah. non-UK -re, non researchers will be less keen to collaborate with, you, with the UK due to fears of funding or, other, or for other reasons? No, I don't, personally. Um, I think if you uh, think that of other parts of the world, um, like the United States, Australia, you know, Southeast Asia, people go there to do research and they do that because they're going to a place where there's expertise that they want to interact with and that's why they do it. I see no reason whatsoever why this, this shouldn't continue. The only thing we've got to make sure about is that we get special uh, status for scientists coming into the United Kingdom uh, such that they don't have a lot of uh, undue bureaucracy to have to go through to get here. And I think the scientific community uh, at the highest level is very keen to ensure that's going to be the case. So I don't see a uh, um, breakdown in the uh, collaboration between UK scientists and those either in Europe or beyond uh, happening and vice versa. And uh, it might actually stimulate people to, to uh, explore ways of working together more easily rather than less so, because obviously if you don't have the European Union uh, on your back doorstep, so as to speak, then obviously you're going to think of very imaginative ways of trying to maintain the wonderful links that we've developed in this country with others over the years. Uh, that's, that's great news then for science in the UK. Um, do you, have you seen or do you expect that there will be a change in the number of job training openings? Or I imagine not, since as you think funding may be okay. And is there going to be any effect on British funding itself after economically from as a result of the Brexit? 
I don't. I don't think so. Um, as I was trying to explain earlier, I think uh, primarily the UK wants to stay at the front end of innovation uh, and discovery, and that's really what we're good at in this country. And I don't feel that dropping down the agenda in any way at all, because obviously our country is keen to create health and wealth as part of its uh, major political agenda. I think the important thing, really, is that money doesn't drain away uh, unnecessarily into a lot of bureaucratic processes uh, that are going to sort of um, slow things down. Because if things become slow, and, and if I may use the term constipated, and things get held up in the process, people won't want to uh, collaborate and won't want to work together. So I think the effort from at least the scientists and the universities and all those others who are concerned with higher education and research are to make sure that the uh, communication uh, with the, those that decide upon residency status and various permits to do work and so on, make sure that these are as easy as possible. And, you know, we've only got to take a country like Canada as an example. I mean, they've got a very easy exit and as our entrance and exit system and I see no reason whatsoever why we couldn't adopt the same principle. As for students, um, I mean we've just gone through the university uh, entrance uh, competition for the UK universities, 157 of them in total, 157 universities in this country and it looks at least um, from this round that the applications from overseas and this includes Europe are up on previous years rather than down. And the mood music, which was obviously a little bit depressing to begin with, is actually turning around quite dramatically now, and people are still wanting to come and do their higher education and uh, visit our country to continue with their research. So I see this as quite optimistic, really. That all sounds rather optimistic in terms of funding, collaboration, and the movement of students and researchers. So finally... Yeah. Post-Brexit, are there any? Do you have any advice for researchers in the UK or, or foreign UK nationals wishing to continue uh, uh, working in the UK? I think the issue uh, at present, which is now beginning to wane, is the insecurity. I mean, what we all need is to know exactly what's going to happen, because uh, we don't have any of that at the moment. And until uh, Article 50 is enacted, we're not going to know what's going to happen. But I think the, the mood of, uh, of direction of the scientific community at the highest level, right up to the politicians in this country, is to actually make sure doors don't slam shut, but they remain open. Because if they do shut, it's the only uh, country that's going to fail will be the United Kingdom in that response. And obviously that's the very last thing that we, we need. So I, I think at the moment, if People are concerned about this, either whether they're going to visit the UK for the first time and do research or become postgraduate students, or if they're in this country already and not quite sure what the future is. The important thing is to go to their higher education um, authority uh, in the university and discuss it with them, because each university now has a special advice office in this country, which is deliberately there to help with individual advice for students and researchers. And I think they'll find when they do that, that the universities particularly, because I'm familiar with that more than anything, but also the 
research institutes in this country are extraordinarily supportive in trying to help in any way they can on an individual basis to ensure that a young scientist's career isn't jeopardized by any of this. Great. Um, that was that was really good, um, Stephen. Uh, very interesting and pretty useful as I'm in the process of thinking of uh, taking my next step too and whether the UK was still a viable option. So it was great talking it, it, to you. It, it, well, I, I think you know. Just to, to return to the to the atmosphere, I think everybody was very, very uncertain and frightened when all this happened because it was unexpected, as you said in your in your introduction, and that's quite right. But I think the the gloom and doom makers who really set the scene about staying in in this country, their prophecies have not turned out to be true. And I think if you look at the city, for example, or look at other institutions in the UK, it's not the city, I mean the money in the city. There's a very upbeat feel about it at the moment. And if anything, you know, it's going to strengthen the UK's ability to be able to drive collaborations, probably looking uh, in other parts of the world beyond uh, Europe now to set up some of its interactions, which I must admit, over time, we really haven't been as active as we might have been. So, you know, uh, countries like China and Singapore and Canada and United States and Australia and so on. And, you know, so I think there is a sort of looking over the horizon atmosphere now being generated here, which uh, means that you don't always fall back then on the European Union and the European Union funding to maintain your connectivity. Yeah, that's really interesting. It almost sounds like it's refreshed the scientific community and the way they think about looking at it as a whole in the wider picture. Yeah, exactly right. And, of course, when you're in a club, which we were with the money, it can become a little bit comfortable, if you understand my meaning. And so you, mm-hmm. the incentive to go out and really explore new things and new relationships is not as strong uh, as it now is uh, coming, as now is coming, because I think these days, I mean, you know, we're talking about a worldwide effort. We're not talking about individual countries. And uh, I, I think every effort will be, main, be used to maintain our European links with the scientists and so on. But I think we'll be looking outside now much more than we did previously. Excellent. Well, thank you, Professor Holgate, for your insights into the impact on Brexit on science in the United Kingdom and Europe. And thank you to everyone who contributes to putting the podcast together and who sent in questions. Thank you. And Thanks very uh, much. I think that's I think that's all, Stephen. Thank you very much for your time.